The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That. Take your Bibles with me, please, this morning. If you would, we're going to go to two different places as uh, we are studying here this morning. The first being in Matthew chapter number 28. I want to uh, make sure that you draw your attention there. So if you have your Bible, get that open and get those ready there in uh, Matthew chapter number 28. Then hold your place uh, and then find Acts chapter 1. And uh, we'll be in those two places here this morning, beginning in Matthew 28. And so find both of those areas there, Matthew 28 and Acts chapter number one. Of course, here on uh, Sunday mornings, we've been going through a series we've entitled The Anatomy of the Church, and uh, we've been discussing what the Bible has to say about the church. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, Mountain Vista is uh, striving to be a, a church that the, God, that the Lord uh, has uh, laid out as He's laid out in His Word. It's one that's honoring Him, one that's operating in the form and fashion in which He would desire for us to operate in. And uh, we can we can do a lot of things, right? We can, we can put a lot of things on a calendar and say that we're operating. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that we're operating in the way that the Lord uh, desires for us to operate. And so throughout the series, we started, of course, uh, with some observations of the church. We looked at the church particularly. We looked at the concept of the church. We looked at the character of the church. Then we looked at the origins of the church and how the Lord began uh, this thing that we call the church. And uh, Jesus Christ himself began it. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And so we know it's his. We know that he's going to build it. And scripture clearly dictates and states that he ought to receive the preeminence because of it. And that's it. It's his church and it's not ours. And so we just... uh, Uh, try to operate in a form and fashion that would be pleasing and honoring to Him. So we've looked at the observations, we've looked at the origins of the church, we've looked at the offices of the church, particularly that of the deacon and that of the pastor. We spent three weeks on each of those, uh, considering what the Lord, uh, why the Lord uh, structured those offices in the way that they did, what He expects from them, and uh, what their roles are within the church as well. And the reason for looking at those and that in in-depth studies like we did was uh, so that we would expect from those positions what God expects. And that we would not expect more from those positions than what God expects either. Then, of course, we looked at the ordinances of the church. And we began there, of course, with the, uh, the ordinance of uh, believer's baptism. And then, of course, the Lord's Supper and why the Lord gave those two particular ordinances to the church to accomplish. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the order of the church. And that was uh, how God puts it in order, and uh, particularly church membership, and why that is important, the biblical concepts of that. And then last week, we started into this last part of the series that we are calling the operations of the church. And in the operation of the church, we're looking at uh, what is the purpose of the church, and what, do, what does the church accomplish? What does the Lord want to accomplish through the church? And so one of the purposes of the church, as we saw last week, was to be a place where the, the people of God, where the believer, the Christian, where the Christian can take the gifts and the talents that God has equipped them with to be able to use them for His service and uh, for, his, for His work and for His glory. And so we spoke about the operation of the church in, con- uh, in, uh, in concerning our service for the Lord. And the reason why the church is important in, in that is because it gives a 
a uh, functioning place to accomplish that. It gives a place where we're equipped together, where we can work as a team. And we all know that when uh, we work together, we accomplish more. And uh, so nevertheless, we looked at those things last week. And here this morning, we're going to read first in Matthew chapter 28, then flip over here over to Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're going to continue with uh, looking at the operations of the church and what are some of the purposes of the church and see why the Lord... He constructed the church in the way that he did, and why he leaves us believers here today still to accomplish his work and what that is. And we find in Matthew 28, verse number 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Then in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 8, says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the othermost part of the earth. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in your house. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather together with others. We thank you for the fact that we have a place to be able to serve you and to use the gifts and the talents that you've equipped us with through your spirit to be able to accomplish your work and your will. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the Lessons that have been taught through our Bible study hour. We thank you for the uh, songs that have been sung unto you and, and, and worship and praise. And uh, now this morning, Lord, we ask that you just be with this time of declaring your word, uh, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. And that as we consider your word here this morning, that you'd be honored and glorified through everything that is done, that you speak through me as I deliver the message, and that your work and will would be accomplished ultimately here this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, for several weeks now, we've been going through this series, The Anatomy of the Church, and we've discussed and had considerations uh, about what the church is and what the Lord wants from it and what he, how He created it and so on. And I hope to continue that series here today and just for a few more weeks. And in doing so, I hope, I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that you have uh, maybe been enlightened even to an extent about some things about the church and its importance. I hope that you've grown in a greater knowledge about uh, the church's role in the believer's life, the church's role within the world as a light as well as we'll talk about here this morning also, and uh, how it can help equip uh, the, uh, the believer to grow in the Lord, how it can help to make disciples as well. And I, I want to just say this this morning, that it is impossible to function independently in a way that pleases the Lord apart from His plan alone. Can I say that again? It is impossible to function independently, or even corporately for that matter, in a way that pleases the Lord apart from His plan. Like if we, if we, if we veer off course, if we start trying to accomplish the Lord's work and the Lord's will outside of the way He's planned, it to do, planned for it to be accomplished, it's impossible to, to function in that way. It's impossible to do that. In our text verses here this morning, as we read in Matthew 28 in Acts chapter 1, there are some familiar verses, especially for those of us here at Mountain Vista. There are verses that we've heard discussed and preached. We've heard them taught before. We've heard them declared at missions conferences and the likes. Uh, but I believe they're important for our consideration this morning as well. See, these verses, they hold what we have commonly called the Great Commission. 
and uh, what the Lord left for his people to do and to, uh, to uh, complete uh, before he ascended on into heaven and said, this is why I've left you here. This is what I want you to accomplish. This is your mission, and uh, this is what I have equipped you to accomplish. And these, the, the Great Commission, as we read there in, in Matthew 28, it's us going and telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ when they trust Christ to see them baptized and then helping to train them to grow in their relationship with the Lord as well, which we'll talk more about as we go along here this morning. But sadly, in our world today, within churches today, the Great Commission has somehow become the Great Suggestion. And believers have looked at this and said, oh, that's a good suggestion for the preacher. It's a good suggestion for the, the uh, deacons. It's a good suggestion for my Sunday school teacher or my Bible study leader. It's a great suggestion for uh, those who work in the bus ministry. It's something good for them to do, but it's really not that important for me. And it's even gotten to the point where not only has it become the great suggestion, but sadly in some churches, it has become the great omission as well. Because there's been studies that have been done and research that has been done that there are, there are bodies of believers, there are churches that state that they have failed to share their faith even once in a year's time. Now that's shocking to me. That in 365 days within a year, that a person who has experienced the extravagant, amazing love and grace of Jesus Christ, that a person who has had their eternity changed from hell to a place called heaven, a person that has experienced the enormous love of God in 365 days can't find even one second to mention the life-changing power that has taken place in their heart and in their life. That's shocking to me. But studies have proven that entire congregations have gone a, a, over a year without even sharing their faith with anyone. Not meeting some stranger, not talking to their, their family, not talking to a coworker, not sharing one time what the Lord has done for them. I submit to you this morning, my friends, that if Mountain Vista is to remain a, a vibrant, God-honoring church that has a future to be able to accomplish His work and will. It's going to happen only if we are purposefully striving to see souls saved, to see believers equipped for ministry, and embrace and follow the teachings that are found in these verses, what we call the Great Commission. That's the only way that we're going to continue to be healthy. That's the only way that we're going to continue to accomplish why the Lord has us here in the first place. And so I want to take some time this morning and examine the facets of our Christian service, our operation as a church, the purpose for which we exist and discuss uh, our operation as a church in the ma matter of soul winning, in the matter of outreach, in the matter of being a witness. The first thing I want you to notice back in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20 again, we find number one here this morning as we consider uh, our, our outreach, our witness we must give attention to what the Lord has commanded. And notice with me our attention here in verses, 20, verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 28. In verse number 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. 
Here, Jesus, he reveals a great responsibility that he's given to every believer. Every believer possesses this responsibility. You want to know why it's for every believer? Because had it only stopped with the disciples right there, there would be no church today. Had those that were there, the 11 or so that were there, listening to Jesus as he was saying, hey, go into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature, baptize them, teach them to observe the things which I've commanded you. If the, if the disciples had been the only ones to do that, guess what? When they died off the scene, so would the church. But that's not how it happened. The disciples, they took what the Lord commanded them and they accomplished it. They took and trained others who they were able to see saved, and they began to grow in the Lord. And those who the disciples had saw trust the Lord as their Savior, they began to do exactly what the other disciples were doing. And they began to see other people come to trust Christ as their Savior. And when they began to do that, they trained those as well. And day after day, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, it's been passed down, and here we are again today. And we're stating the same thing that Jesus stated to the disciples over 2,000 years ago. And it's just as important for us today as it was for the disciples back then as well. And so we have a part to play in this. It's a command that is given to us. It's a great responsibility for us. And if we are to be pleasing to the Lord, if we're going to be effective for His service, we got to give great uh, attention to what the Lord has called us to do in spreading his word, the gospel, and helping disciples to grow. Notice the exhortation here. As we give our attention to our, our, our desire to be a witness, notice the exhortation the Lord gave in verse number 19. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. That's not too hard to understand, I don't believe. But uh, sometimes we are tripped up with it. But literally, the word go, it literally means to transport oneself, to go from one place to another. And that means that it involves a determined or a committed action. And as followers of Christ, we are commanded to go forth into the world for Christ. It's not a suggestion. It is not something that we get to just pick and choose whether or not that is part of the Word of God or not. It is a command that has been given to us. And that's why we have scheduled times here at Mountain Vista that I mentioned in the announcement time for us to be able to go out and purposefully do that. On Tuesdays, for instance, in the afternoon around 2 o'clock, our staff goes out and, uh, and uh, just goes from uh, door to door and tells others about the church services and tells others about Christ. On Thursday nights at 5, we do it and invite the congregation to come out to do that. Saturday mornings, we do that at 9 in the morning, as I mentioned in the announcement time as well, and encourage the congregation to come out. We coincide that with our bus ministry as well as we try to reach folks who wouldn't have transportation to come to church otherwise. And we do those things. And, and we have those scheduled times because, listen, I, I firmly believe that what's scheduled gets done. However, though, I know that five o'clock on a Thursday night doesn't fit everybody's schedule. Nine o'clock on a Saturday morning doesn't fit everybody's schedule. Not everybody is going to come out and be part of our staff and go out at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. But my question is, is when are you going to purposefully do it? When are we going to purposefully share our faith? You say, well, I would try to schedule a time. How about we, try, we, work, we go away from just trying to schedule a time and we think about the opportunities that the Lord places in front of us on a daily basis? You know what? I know not everyone can go out and walk a block like we do on Thursday nights or Saturday mornings. Not everybody can do that. Health will not allow that. I understand that. 
But you know what you can do? The fact that you're here today, I think that testifies to me that you probably go to other places as well. You probably go to the grocery store. You probably go to the gas station. I know it hurts to go to the gas station anymore today. I mean, man, it hurts, it hurts the wall a lot, right? But you probably go to the gas station. You go other places. I understand that. I, I believe that happens. So you know what you can do? Right at the ends of those aisles there, in those card racks in front of you, are some things that we call gospel tracks. It's an invite that we, get, uh, we, we leave there for you to be able to take out, to be able to give to somebody. It has our service times. It has our website. It has information about the church. But the most important thing that's, that's laid out on that card is the plan of salvation. On the very back of the top, it says, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that heaven's your home? And then it declares how the word of God says a person can know for sure that heaven's their home and that Christ could be their savior. You might not be able to go out on a Thursday night with us. You might not be able to go out on a Saturday morning with us. But you can take that from the rack right now where you're sitting. And you can carry that with you. And when you go to the gas station, and oh, how it hurt to put that gas into your tank. When you put that, that handle back, you can fold that track up and leave it in the handle for the next person that comes by. Because guess what? If they're going to put gas in their car, they've got to take it out at least. And they're going to see it. And I, I truly believe what the Word of God says when it says His Word will not return void. I believe that when we do our part, he, he moves, and he's going to do something mighty through it. We have an opportunity where we receive uh, a list of folks that have recently moved into our area. And we've got a little packet we've put together and a little letter that says, hey, welcome to our community. Uh, we hope that you find yourself a warm welcome here. We hope the transition goes smoothly for you. If there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. If you happen to be looking for a church, please feel free to come and visit us sometime. But the most important part that's put in that packet, that envelope that we send them, is one of those gospel tracts because it could tell someone how they can know for sure that heaven's their home. And whenever we, we get those once a month, and whenever we get those, we always announce it to the church to be able to be a part. And you can take about 10 or 12 of those and fill out those envelopes and things and be able to put, send those off. And who knows? Only God knows what that gospel witness will do. You might not ever meet the person this side of heaven that you've sent one of those to, but you've been faithful in being the witness that God desires for you to be. You know what's interesting? I said that not knowing anything this morning in the first service at 845. I was in my office getting things ready for the Bible study hour, turning around, and Brother Titus brought me one of the guests that was with us in the first service, and I asked him, I said, hey, how did you hear about our church? He said, well, interestingly enough, you said something about that list of new movers. Uh, I was one of them. You sent me one of those, and that's how I came to come to your church here today. We don't ever know what the Lord's going to do with it, but that is not our job. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Our job is not to know about it. Our job is just to do what he's commanded us to do and partner with him in doing so. We see the exhortation to go. That ought to be enough. That ought to be enough for us to do our part because he said so. I mean, if you have children, you ever say, do this, and they say, why? Because I said so. That ought to be enough, right? That ought to be enough as believers that God said so. But let's continue on. Notice the instruction in verse number 19. Not only does he say to go, but he tells us how to go. He tells us that we are to go and teach all nations, to baptize them. And at the first part of verse number 20, he says to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And Jesus reveals that the disciples, they were to go into all the world and help make other disciples. 
And the word, te- the, the, the word teach uh, here in verse number uh, 19, where it says teach them to uh, uh, teaching uh, all nations there, it has the instruction or the idea of telling others how they might be able to know Christ as their Savior. But the word teach in verse number 20 has the idea of being able to teach others for the purpose of making disciples helping them to grow in the relationship with the Lord. And in fact, the Great Commission is threefold. That first teach, as I mentioned there, is about evangelism, about telling others about how Jesus Christ died for their sins and how they can have a home in heaven for all of eternity because of his shed blood if they'd be born again. That word baptized, as we discussed a couple weeks ago in the ordinances of the church, is uh, to be able to make a public proclamation of one's, uh, of one's belief in Jesus Christ, their identification with Christ. So we won't believe labor that point. But that last teach in the first part of verse number 20 is talking about our ability to equip. Now, let me ask you a question. How many here this morning you've had children of your own? Would you raise your hand? Maybe the, they might be grown and not in the house anymore, but you had children of your own. I mean, there's a lot of people in here that have had children of their own. Let me ask you a question. When you, when you brought them home from the hospital, did you lay them in the crib and then just leave them? Absolutely not. You, you laid them in the crib, you, kept, you, 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 you helped nurture them, you probably picked them up and rocked them to sleep some, you fed them, you sang to them. As they grew older, you read them books, the same book, over and over and over and over and over. You know what I'm talking about, right? And over again, right? So much, they're like two years old, they can't read yet, but they can quote you the entire book back because you've read it to them every time. And if, you, you know... As parents, I'm, I'm going to confess something that I used to do. Like, I used to like, turn extra pages at once. Like, uh, we're, uh, it comes a time when you can't do that anymore because I know you've skipped some of it all of a sudden, right? You, know, like, you, 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 you take care of your child, and then as they continue to get older, you try to train them, and you, you, help them, you try to help, help them walk and make sure that they are learning to walk, and they learn their ABCs and learn to count and all of those things. A child, a baby left to themselves aren't gonna, isn't going to learn them th- those things by, on their own, are they? It takes some time from their parent to help, help them to grow. Then they finally get into the school. That's, the school helps with those types of things as well. But nevertheless, it takes someone else to help equip them to grow. A brand new believer, the Bible calls, well, in First Peter he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the words. A brand new Christian, Jesus likens to a baby. And so how are they going to grow? Only by the influence of other mature believers and the equipping of the church. And we find again the importance of the church's role in fulfilling the Great Commission as well. That brings me to the next thing we see here in verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded who? You. See, my friends, as we draw our attention to the importance of our witness, the importance of getting the Word of God out to those who greatly need it, it's going to take an investment. It's going to take an investment. Because, my friends, whenever, whenever a new believer needs somebody to instruct them or help, to, help them to grow, it's going to be the investment of someone else's time to spend time with them, to help train them, to help teach them. We, that's what we do through our Bible study hour and such as well, through our discipleship program on Wednesday nights or throughout the week when if they might meet one-on-one or whatever the case might be. It's going to take some investment. 
And it's interesting that sometimes we don't do our part to witness like we ought to or to help others to grow like the Lord has commanded us to because we don't want to put in the investment. We've got our schedule. If you're like me, you've got it on your phone, right? That calendar app there. And it's got everything lined out there, everything you're supposed, you need to do and your doctor's appointments and the kids' after-school events and all these types of things. And you've got all that laid out there. And you look at it and you say, oh, I don't have any time to be a witness. I don't have any time to invest into a new believer. God, you know, if I just had extra time, you know I would do it, but I just filled my, my, my plate with something else. Ooh, what a shame that is to, for us to think that what our plans are should ever supersede God's plans. And it takes an investment. It takes some purposeful planning to be able to make an influence because notice uh, the influence in our life as well, the latter part of verse number 20. See, as we talk about all of this, we're talking about trying to tell the world about the gospel of Jesus. There's billions of people in the world, right? And when I, if, I, if I seclude myself and just me alone, man, what kind of an impact can I make by myself? And it begins to become overwhelming, doesn't it? And there's just, I can't do hardly anything by myself. But notice the last part of verse number 20. And lo, I am with you always. Who's going to be with us? The Lord is. See, God has not called us to a task that he's not going to equip us and come alongside us to, to accomplish. The Lord's going to be with us. And the fact that he's also given us the church to be able to accomplish it. Here's the interesting fact about it. Sierra Vista... In the surrounding area, let's just say 55, 60,000 people uh, in the surrounding area of Sierra Vista or whatever. If I had to go out there and by myself be the only one that was trying to tell the population of Sierra Vista that uh, the Lord loves them and that he died for them and he wants them to be saved, that'd take me a long, long time. A long, long time. But see, when the church, when they are equipped and they get together and they, they mobilize together, that army is something to be reckoned with, right? Then think about it. We, we, quit ta- we quit thinking about the overwhelming multitude of the world. See, God, as we talked about, the church, the body of Christ, He's placed a church here in Sierra Vista in our area. He's placed churches in other towns. And, and as we accomplish what He's called us to do, guess what? His work is being done all around the world. Why? Because He's with us. It's the influence of the Lord that is going to be with us. And He equips us to be able to accomplish the task at hand. But as we bring our, draw our attention to the operation of the church, considering our witness, notice our approach that needs to be taken as well in chapter 1 of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Acts 1 and verse number 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the othermost part of the earth. See, just prior to his ascension, here again, Jesus is reiterating the same message that he gave to his disciples that we read there in Matthew chapter 28. And these words here in Acts chapter 1, it reveals the approach that he's left for us and how we ought to, how we ought to accomplish his, the task at hand. I want you to consider our confidence here as we look at the first part of verse number 8. He says, but ye shall receive power. Now, my friends, understand this. 
the disciples that he's talking to just days earlier, weeks earlier, what had they witnessed happen to their Savior? They just witnessed him be crucified. And prior to that, they witnessed him being beaten and, and, and made a public mockery. They saw him being whipped by this cat of nine tails and a crown of thorns placed on his head and, and, uh, and just, just cruel, cruel things happening, right? And Jesus had spent his day, years before that proclaiming the message of God, telling the world about a coming kingdom, and his payment, worldly speaking, humanly speaking, for the message that he proclaimed was beaten and death. And then he tells his disciples, now I want you to go do the same thing. Wow, that's motivation right there, isn't it? And see, if their confidence, if their confidence was going to be only in what they were going to be able to accomplish... See, Jesus preached the message, and he's the greatest teacher there, ever's been, there has ever been. And he was rejected. So if their confidence was only in their success, they would have tucked tail and ran. If their confidence was only in what they were going to be able to accomplish, they said, nope, Lord, we're going fishing again. But their confidence was not in themselves. It was not in what they would be able to accomplish. It was in the one who commanded them to go. And he said, you will, you'll receive power. See, it's not going to be of your own might. It's not going to be of your own power, but of the power of the Lord. And that's where their confidence lies. And my friends, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if their confidence in two, over 2,000 years ago was lying in the one who promised and the one who equipped and the one who called, where's our confidence lie? In the same place. Our confidence lies in the one who's called us. So as we approach our, our purpose of spreading the gospel, as we approach our purpose of being a witness, we don't have confidence in and of ourselves. We have confidence in the one who has called us. Why? Because he's given us a companion. Look at the rest of verse number eight. But you shall receive power after what? After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See, my friends, he's not left us alone. And he's given us his spirit to empower and to equip us. And, and being a witness and helping make disciples is the mission of every believer. That how do we communicate this? How do we tell others? What is our approach in communicating this gospel message? Look at the last part of verse number 9. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We're talking about being a witness. We're talking about playing our part. We're talking about fulfilling our purpose. And I think sometimes we're guilty of saying, well, when it's convenient for me, then I would do it. But when is it ever convenient? And in fact, in those last words, in those verses, that, verse number eight that we just read, does it sound like a call to convenience to you? In fact, we, we see, first off, he uses the word, and ye shall be witnesses. That word witnesses is translated from a Greek word from which we also get our English word martyr. A martyr doesn't sound very convenient to me. But the, from the same Greek word is where we derive our English word for mar martyr. And that's what God's called us to do, to be a witness. See, sometimes we're going to witness... And sometimes people are going to accept it. 
Sometimes we're going to witness, and sometimes people are going to reject it. See, we've never been called to be the one that saves anyone. We're just the mouthpiece. We're just the messenger. And the Lord saves those who receive Him. See, we're like the newsboy that's standing on the side of the, on the corner saying, saying, extra, extra, read all about it. He has, no, he has no say on who buys the paper. He just offers it for sale. We have no say on who is going to trust Christ. We just offer the message. That's what we're called to do. And that, that, that doesn't mean that we're called to just do it when it's convenient. Because notice what else it said here. Where are we supposed to spread this gospel message? He says in verse number 8, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and the othermost part of the earth. He says, everywhere. The entire world needs to hear this message, and I want you to be a part of taking it to them. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if you've noticed this or not, but traveling in our day has gotten a little tougher than it used to be a couple years ago. Gas prices are quite expensive, so to get in your car and drive someplace, that's a toll on the pocketbook. Uh, f- planes... They're out of control. Just ask my mother-in-law, all right? She flew here last Monday, flying out tomorrow. But last Monday, she was supposed to arrive in Tucson at 11 p.m. or so. She left uh, Little Rock at 11 a.m., 1 uh, 1 p.m. So 1 p.m. in the afternoon, Little Rock, Arkansas. They flew her from Little Rock to uh, Atlanta. Had a little bit of a layover there. Flew her from Atlanta to Denver. Had a layover there. But because of a lot of uh, storms and delays and things, they had boarded them on the plane. They were waiting to taxi out and to be able to take off, to be able to get here on the time that they were supposed to. But because of the other delays and things and because of the storms, the crew that was on her flight had, had exceeded their working hours and there was no crews available. So guess where she stayed in the night at? In the Denver airport and got up early the next morning. Well, was there early the next morning to be able to catch her flight and get in about nine o'clock uh, Tuesday morning up in Tucson and such. Literally almost 24 hours, you know, 18 hours or so, you could have driven that yeah. <laughs> and gotten here in all that time that, that it's taken. Travel is out of control, right? It doesn't sound very convenient to go to the other side of the world, but that's what God has called us to do. Now there's countries that are closed because of health crises and such. They won't let you in. But does that mean that God's command has been stopped? Did God not know that all these things would take place in 2022 when he said this over 2,000 years ago? Obviously, he knew that. His command is still the same. It doesn't sound very convenient, but it's still our command. All I'm saying is this. If we only wait for when it's convenient, it will never be. We've got to make a commitment. We've got to say, this is what God has called us to do, and that's part of His plan, and therefore we will, we will complete it. As we've been speaking about the church over the last several weeks, I trust that you've been enlightened. I trust you've been challenged. And again today, I trust that the Word of God has just challenged us to be the witness that we should be and fulfill the purpose in which He's left us here to accomplish But you might be here this morning, because I don't know everybody's story that's here today, and you might be here hearing us speaking about the gospel message and telling it to others, but you yourself don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Well, first off, let me say to you, Jesus loves you. 
The Lord loves you. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his son to die on Calvary's cross and to rise again just so that you could have a home in heaven. That's how much he loves you. He gave, he paid the ultimate price of his son so that you could be saved. And see, my friends, Jesus, he was sent to this earth to do that. And he lived his life and he died on that cross. And, and had he been like any other man, his death wouldn't be important. But he wasn't like any other man because he's God. And in fact, when he lived his life, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned and therefore fulfilled every jot and every tittle of the law and what had the ability to pay the price for the sin of all mankind. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for you and I. Now, my friends, listen, had he just died, though, like I said, he'd be just like any other man. But he's not just like any other man because he's God. And so he didn't stay dead. See, three days later, he rose from the dead and showing his power as God to have power over death, hell, and the grave. And he did it for you. He did it because he loves you. And Romans 10 and 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would just trust him, if you would just simply reach, call out to him and say, Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe that if you would, if, if, I believe because you died for me, that if I just ask you, you'd save me. He'll do it. Amen. And so maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your, as your savior. You've never been, as Nicodemus was told, been born again, right? That's how you trust Jesus as your personal savior. But maybe you're here this morning, you're saved, you know that, but maybe the Lord's spoken to you today about your witness about fulfilling the purpose that God has left us here to do accomplish, to tell others about him. However the Lord spoke in your heart, I hope that you respond. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to have a simple time of invitation. But before we do that, I want to ask a few simple questions. And as we do, again, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just out of respect of others, I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, you know what? I am 100% sure that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity with my Lord because I know that I've been born again. Could I just rejoice with you and you give, just slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that? I know I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. There's hands all across the auditorium. I praise God to be in the presence of other believers today. I wonder, though, if there would be anyone here that would just be honest enough with themselves and with the Lord today to say, Pastor, I just don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. And I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. I don't know that there's ever been a time where I've trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. Now, I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I wouldn't want to call you out or anything like that. But I would like to pray for you that the Lord would give you the faith to be able to trust Him, that He'd reveal uh, to you your great need for Him today as well. And so if you're here this morning and you'd just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that heaven is my home. Could I just uh, pray for you this morning? Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Pastor, just pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Then one last question, as a believer here this morning, as we've discussed the command and, and the call from the Word of God, I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, you know what? I know that I'm saved, and I know that heaven's my home. But Pastor, would you just pray with me, please, that I would be the witness that God wants me to be? I'm not asking you to commit to anything. Uh, I'm not saying uh, that you need, you're going to make a commitment to be here on Thursdays at 5. I'm not saying that you're making a commitment to be here at, on Saturdays at 9 in the morning, but I am asking that you would respond as the Lord spoke into your heart, and you say, Pastor, just pray with me that I'd be the witness that God has equipped and called me to be. 
that I'd carry those gospel tracts, that I'd look for the opportunities that he places before me, and that I'd have the courage to be able to speak up for him when he gives those. I promise you he'll, he gives them. The question is, are we taking them? So here's the, here's, the, here's the call this morning. Pastor, pray for me that I'd be the witness I ought to be. Would you slip your hand up and write back down? There's hands all across the auditorium. And I truly believe every believer would want that in some way, in some fashion. Sometimes we're not, we don't know how, and so the fear of the unknown keeps us from it sometimes. Sometimes uh, we just aren't confident in it, and uh, so the, the lack of confidence it keeps us away from it. But again, that's not where our confidence should lie. Our confidence should lie in the one who's called us. Maybe sometimes it's uh, just we've allowed our schedules to get filled with things, and we've quit looking for the ways that the Lord is putting people in our, in our path to be able to be a witness to Him. But we're praying this morning that the Lord would help us to recognize the great need and to do our part as we rely on Him. I'm going to pray, and then the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come here to the front and kneel at these steps as an altar, I want to invite you to do so. Or maybe right there in your seat, you just call out to the Lord as He's spoken to your heart today. Our Father, we do thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, I ask now that you would help our uh, church family and those that are with us here this morning to just respond as you have spoken to our hearts here today through your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays here this morning, the altars are open if you'd like to come and kneel here or right there in your seat. We just hope that you respond as the Lord spoke into your heart about being the witness that we could be here in this world around us.